0: I want to read the passage at this point. We're going to read now from James 5, 19 and 20, and then we'll sing again. We're going to sing a third hymn tonight, and then we'll uh, look at these two verses together. So we're going to read first, James 5, verse 19 and 20. I don't know how you feel about reaching the end of this book, but... When I finished writing this sermon, although a sermon is never finished, if you ever preached a sermon, it's never done um, until you preach it. But um, yeah, I was, was sort of sad that we got to the end. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm glad we got there. Uh, but I was sort of thinking, oh, I've so enjoyed this uh, series and preaching. It. It's been a real challenge to preach and a real challenge for me personally and hopefully for you too and we'll finish by reading these two verses together my brothers and sisters if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins let's read that again my brothers if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray one more time before we open and look at God's word again. Father, that's our prayer. Speak, O Lord. And Lord, we want to be obedient to your scriptures. We want you to build us up into the people that you want us to be, and as we apply these last two verses, which speak of how we act with one another, Lord, may we do as you have instructed us to do, that we would do that for your glory and for the wandering soul, so speak, and help us to put this into action in this place, in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure how many of you will remember this, but back in our series in James, when we were looking at James 4, you can just cast your eye back to verse 11 and verse 12, I mentioned that there are some in the church who like to fault find and go on search and destroy missions because they are convinced that they, and I know people like this, that they are convinced that that is their gift to find fault. In others, And that is not anybody in this church, I hope, but I know people like that. And they think it honors Christ, but it doesn't, okay, it doesn't. And so James not only showed us there in chapter 4 about how that is an evil thing to do, but tonight, right at the end of the letter, the last two verses of this letter, he compels us to do quite the opposite, exactly the opposite. He instructs us to go on search and Rescue Missions, Search and Rescue Missions, and that's the title of this evening's sermon, Search and Rescue. That's exactly what we're going to see tonight. Sarah and I have often thought back and talked about friends who we had growing up. Obviously, we had different friend groups uh, coming from two different places. Um, That would be weird if we had the same sort of friends, but we had two different friend groups, and we had friends who grew up who came to know Christ. I can think and I can maybe even see them in my mind right now. They lived out their faith with passion. Um, They had desire. They could articulate the gospel, the faith. That wouldn't be a problem for them. They could articulate their experience of coming to Christ. They could dialogue in a group. You've all been in a setting like that. And they could fit in quite well. And they could share their love and faith in Christ. But those, maybe, maybe you're thinking of folks like that in your, in your life. Those, for us, we have some friends who are now not living like that, who have uh, wandered, that's a good term to use tonight, who have wandered from the faith, who are, are essentially living as foes of the gospel and seemingly abandoned the faith. As I said, maybe you've got people like that friends like that, that you know. Now, I'm not here to say how bad they are or to say how great we are for staying the course. That's not the point. I'm here to firstly say how sorrowful it is to see something like that in your friends. And secondly, that seeing this, that we need, we here, me, need to see the deep mystery of true faith in the church. And you think, what what do I mean by that? What do I mean by seeing the mystery of true faith and the church? Well, you see, the only way I can understand such abandonment from the faith after such advocation of the faith is to think of the mysterious parable of the four soils. You know the four soils. And we're going to take a minute, okay, it was more than a minute. We're going to take a few minutes to talk about the four soils for a minute. And I want to remind us of these things because they are the foundation, I think, to help us understand these last two verses. So let's think about the four soils. They're in Luke 8 and Matthew 13. If you want to turn one of those up, that's okay. We're going to run through this fairly quickly, but if you want to follow reading down the Scriptures, if that's helpful to you, then please turn there. The, the first soil, the first heart, if you like, and hopefully this will make sense in a moment, is the hard heart. The hard heart. Go back. 2,000 years and you will see in Palestine that the fields there they were divided up into long narrow strips and they were divided up by then footpaths which ran either side and these footpaths became as hard as rock they became as hard as rock from the combination of occasional moisture in the air constant pounding of the feet that walked up and down it and of course just like today, the kiln like effect of the sun that's what we had, isn't it? And so remembering that this is a parable that we're reading about, there for four soils, we first see the farmer, okay, the farmer who is God the Holy Spirit, who sows the seeds, and those seeds are God's word, living and alive. And on the path, the path being the hard human heart, in this instant, instance, is trampled upon. And the birds come, and they eat it up, eat up the seed, which, of course, is an analogy for the devil, snatching away the truth from someone's heart. And it leaves us with impenetrable hearts and minds. The seed falls, but it never germinates, and so you have, firstly, the hard heart. The second is the shallow heart. Palestine is covered, if you go there, covered, not that I've been there, but I know, but covered in bedrock. It's a a bedrock, and then on top, there's a thin layer of soil. And so the setup really helps. This bedrock and this short amount or small amount of soil really helps the sprouting of new seeds. Because the bedrock is quickly warmed, and therefore it brings speedy germination. But the fresh sprouts also quickly die. Because... The shallow soil does not allow an adequate root system, does it? What was Jesus' application with this soil? Well, he's very clear in Luke, 18, or Luke 8 and 13 that someone hears the word, they receive that word with joy, and that's great. But because it doesn't take deep root, they, after a while, after maybe testing times, they... Fall away. And this is like our sorrowful experience that I mentioned just a few minutes ago about friends who no longer walk with Christ. They received the word with joy. They spoke of Christ with joy and desire. But now they have wandered off. They're like that fresh and bright green sprout that came out of the ground at the beginning. Probably never greener again except for when it comes out of the ground it's never as green as it is when it first comes out but the word the root hasn't hasn't taken and so it dies that's a warning not just for the people that we're talking about and those who we're very sad about but for all of us right that's a a warning for everyone the shallow heart and the evidences of it are all around us And that should lead us to reflect on our life and our lives to see if the word is really taking root. Not to think about the person who may be sitting next to you or someone else. I want us to think about us. I want you to think about you and say, is the word really taking root in my life right now? Well, then you have the infested heart. Some of the seed falls on thorn-infested soil that strangles the promising beginnings of new life. And what did Jesus say about this soil and this kind of heart? Well, in Luke 8 and 14, which is just the next verse, he talks of those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and by the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And so failure to mature equals no fruit produced. That, that's a way to think of it. Failure to mature in your faith equals no produced fruit. No fruit has to then equal no salvation. That's just the way it is. Go to one John and read that book. He'll soon tell you. And then the third the fourth one, sorry, is the fertile heart. The fertile heart. Jesus says, and some fell on good soil and grew up and yielded a hundredfold. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't that the desire for everyone? And he said that those who hear the word hold to it. They hold fast to it. They live by it and live on it and everything is about it and they bear fruit and true believers bear fruit we talked about the fruit this morning we've been talking about the fruit for the last six or seven weeks on and off when we taught our boys and girls Galatians 5 that's the fruit we're talking about if you're wondering what does that fruit look like that's it love, joy now you're starting to sing the song in your head aren't you Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That's the fruit. And so this inner fruit then produces an outer fruit, which are the things that James has been talking about all the way through the book. All those times where we thought, oh, I need to work on that in my life. And those are the things, they're the fruits. That's why we study God's word verse by verse. That's why we do that. Because we want to live by it. We want it to shape every facet of our life, don't we? We really ought to anyway. Because we want to become more like Christ. And as I said way back at the beginning of the series, although Jesus or the word Lord isn't mentioned that many times in the book of James, and some people tend to run it down because it doesn't do that, But actually, across every verse, every word, every chapter in this book, it's just Jesus. This is how we ought to live, because it's like Christ. And so they have the fertile heart. Well, the question is then, why have I shared with you the parable of the four soils tonight? Why, at the end of James, when he challenges to go on search and rescue missions with other brothers and sisters in Christ, why do I speak of the soils Well, very sadly, again, another sad point as we finish this book. The sad thing is that the four hearts, the four soils, the hard, the shallow, the infested, and the fertile exist within the church. They exist within the church. They exist within our church and in every church. And this is James' great final concern We call this sermon series in James Faith Works. And I hope that's become clear to you. And the reason we call it that is because we desire each one of us to live true and to have true, genuine faith in Christ that works. That's authentic. That's real. That's visible. That we can see each other working this out in our lives. We want a faith that produces fruit. We don't want to be fruitless people. So that's why we call this series Faith Works, because it ought. James has challenged us to see how faith works in trials, how how faith moves towards the poor. Do you remember that? How it changes our spending habits or our materialistic desires, how it controls our tongue. He's talked about that a few times how it seeks God's will rather than our own will, and so on. Jesus and his little brother, James, desire to see real faith working itself out in every area of our life. And so is there any wonder as we tackle these last two verses? And as James finishes his book, he gives the last challenge to the church, and it's this, to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ on track. That's the point. We wanna keep us, he, Christ wants us to keep on track. James wants the church and us to realize that it is our responsibility, and we're gonna get there in a minute when we talk about that a little bit more, to keep each other on track. So isn't it a fitting con- conclusion to this letter? As James finishes his letter to challenge each of us to do that exact thing, to make sure that our faith is working, and growing, and flourishing. That is your responsibility, our responsibility in each other, for each other. And so there is no greater instruction he could give, surely. After saying all he said, now he says, keep each other doing these things. The second heading is this. And uh, really, this is a challenge for us, and you'll begin to see it in this heading. It's this. Willful wanderers, willful wanderers in the first half of verse 19. Let's read that verse together first. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Look at the first ten words. My brother, you could add sisters in there to make it twelve if you want, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, okay, let's just deal with that for now, okay? If anyone among you wanders from the truth, what do we see here? James is talking about those within the church who wander consciously off course, off of the narrow path, off of the narrow road of faith and into the world. James isn't talking about unconscious, absent-minded wandering, no. No. He is talking about willful, intentional apostasy. That's what this is. Hence the heading, willful Wanderers," And that's not a name of a football team or something. That is exactly what James is concerned about. And I suppose the question then is this. Why are they, or what are they, wandering from? You say, well, they're from the Lord, but let's go deep. Let's go a little bit deeper. It is—is is it a conscious wandering from doctrinal tr- truth? That's harder to say than I thought it was when I wrote it down. Doctrinal truth—is it a wandering from the beliefs that they have? We have doctrines, and we hold fast to them in this church. We have a doctrine of faith, and we build everything on that because it's the scriptures. Is it a leaving? Those things? Well, no, not entirely. This wandering that James speaks of here, as he has, as Lee, throughout the entire book, is a wandering in the lifestyle, as well as in belief. And if you like, it's a wandering in intellect, and it's also a wandering in behaviors. It's both those things. And I think we'd agree that one actually affects the other, or at least it should. And so many people today change what they believe to accommodate their moral behavior. Ever met someone like that? Haven't we seen that time and time again? They move their convictions to suit their new way of life. So is their desire to live this way to behave this way, to have these friends or to go to this place or to live this lifestyle, that actually they are happy and conscious about changing what they believe so that it would suit how they live. But there's also vice versa on that, which is a much more visible way to see the wonders around us when behaviors and actions and lifestyles contradict beliefs and doctrine and those beliefs get left aside. Yet, again, these things describe the double-minded person. Can you see it? They want this, but, but they know that they, they should hold fast to this. But they're willing to change this and then change the way they live. And they're living in these sort of foot-in-both-camps life. And James introduced this double-minded man who is in the beginning as I've said so many times and he's popped up a number of times hasn't he he really has and finally as James finishes here he is again why is that why is he here again why is a double minded man although maybe not explicit is very implicit here why is he here well it's just so we don't forget what he's like and so that we don't become like him You see, the scary thing is that for many of us, double-mindedness doesn't really feel dangerous. Do you know that? Double-mindedness doesn't really feel that dangerous. Wandering from the path doesn't feel risky. You see, for many, they think it allows them to have the best of both worlds. Like those, do you remember this morning from King Ahab's kingdom? Who are you gonna serve, the Lord or Baal? Which one? That's what... Elijah said, but this world wanted both. This, these people wanted both. And for some, wandering off the narrow path of faith almost feels like an adventure more than an advocation. All the more when others join you. You ever seen that? Maybe you've been there. Friends who desert the faith as well, and they join you. Or groups who you become involved in, friend groups, and who are all doing the similar thing. And at that point you think, hey, if they're doing it, it can't be that bad. But well, this is the grave mistake. And it's often too late when you look back, maybe at the end of your life or whenever it may be, and you see that the adventure, the wandering, was in fact foolishness, more than foolishness, it was folly, it was folly. Billy Graham, you know that name, he said this, no man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences, however, He is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. Oh, how we need to lovingly watch out for each other in this regard and keep each other on track with Christ and his will for our lives. And so much in life begs for our attention. And sadly, so much of it gets in. But as we're going to see next we're going to see just how perilous wandering really is. And this is really the, the third heading today, which is search and rescue missions. In verse 19 and 20, we've already read these verses, but let's read them again. And let's see these, this rescue mission at work. Let's read from the beginning again. Why not? My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Notice the word, someone brings him back. You notice that? These words make it clear that my brother or sister's wandering isn't just their problem. We love to do that. We see them wandering We know it's happening and we say in our mind even maybe verbally but we say that's their problem and i'll pray for them that's what we do so often we think it's their problem it's not my problem but saying this if someone in the church wanders away it's not only the responsibility of the leadership team to run after that person and bring them back. It's all of our responsibility, as I've already said this evening, to do this in this church. Every member of this church has a responsibility set upon them to care for one another. And if anyone wonders, if any, or if the wanderer is a Christian brother or sister, and as I've already said, that you know that they are wandering in their faith, then it is your responsibility to go. And what does James say? Bring them back. Call them back. That's your responsibility. Yes, we do that as leaders of this church. But it's not on us all entirely. That is part of how this body works. That is part of being A member of this body is that we look after and watch out and call one another back from our wanderings. So we are to urge the wanderers, the wanderer, to come back. And what are we urging them to come back to? Wholehearted faith. That is what we're looking for. That is what we want from them. It may take some time, but that is the goal. Now, you say it might be someone... Close to me, what do I do then? might be someone in a small group. Do you know what? It might even be someone in the coming days, and well, in the coming months, hopefully, when we kick off our men's and women's ministries again in maybe later part of the year or in the new year, it could be someone in that small group. As you sit together month upon month and you see them drifting, it may be someone in that group. It might be someone who you see or you normally sit next to on a... Sunday or a Wednesday. And maybe that person, you are conscious that they haven't been there for a while, then go after them and you call them back. It might be an ungodly relationship that that person is in. Maybe someone who's just falling away. Someone who's got caught up in pursuing ungodly priorities in their life. Whatever it might be, trying to bring them back from such departures our responsibility and yes it's not always easy but let me say this it is crucial crucial you might have someone in mind who has or is wondering and you might think that if you approach the subject even lovingly and carefully and caringly that you might risk your relationship with that person or at best you might cause real offense or a scene maybe and you'd rather keep out of their business. Look at verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Why should we put our preferences aside even at the risk of losing a friend or experiencing awkwardness? Why? Because calling a sinner back will save his soul from death and their sins will be forgiven by a gracious God. We're talking about life and death. Just get that for a minute. The potential outcome from withholding our calling back is surely a lost soul and eternal conscious torment and hell. Our calling back is an agent in God's hands to the saving of a soul for the kingdom. Yes, God does a saving, but he has equipped and ordained his church to act like this so that we would keep each other on track so that no one would fall away and fall into eternal damnation. See, this is a salvific thing. This is salvation from a horrifying existence that Scripture describes like this in the book of Mark and in Revelation. Just listen to the descriptions of this place called hell the unquenchable fire. Their worm does not die. The bottomless pit, the smoke of their torment goes up forever. Is there anything greater we could be called to than calling each other back from our wandering that we would not experience these terrible ends? What greater thing could we do for one another in the church. What more loving thing is there for us to do for each other? Name something. You can't. And look at the promise from God at the very end of this book. God will cover a multitude of sins. See, for all of us in Christ this evening, wasn't this true for us when we came to Christ? When we were all forgiven a multitude of sins. When I was brought, when I was brought and bought, brought to Christ and bought by Christ into His family, I was forgiven thousands, millions of sins. Maybe they were covered by Christ's blood, paid in full. All my transgressions were paid. All my sins were covered. They were covered in full in Christ by his blood. Maybe that's an experience that you've had. I know there are many sitting here who have. What a wonderful blessing for us to know and trust Christ. The psalmist, our mind goes there when we think of these things in Psalm 32 and the first verse and also You could read Psalm 85 and 2. I'll read Psalm 32 and 1 to you. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is that person. What a blessed feat is accomplished when a sinner, a wanderer, is turned away from their error and are found forgiven in Jesus. Wouldn't we love to be doing that for our brothers and sisters in Christ shouldn't that be how we act how we love and care for one another here and what a blessing also for the one outside of the kingdom who turns also for forgiveness those maybe who are sitting here this evening are saying well I don't know sins forgiven like this and I know this passage is ultimately talking about the church and how we act with one another but it can't go amiss here because when you see that potential end, eternal conscious punishment in hell in that place I've just described, and yet a saviour who will cover your sins if you accept him as your saviour and ask him for forgiveness. You can't miss that opportunity this evening. of Surrendering your life to his will and to his purposes and living for him. And so as we finish, I don't know if you, a few of you are thinking, are we actually gonna finish? He normally preaches for longer than this, but this is my last paragraph. James' final instruction is this. Having told us and showed us and taught us many things in God, it is to love one another so much that we would with love, And integrity and carefulness and much prayer call one another back into God's fold when we see a wanderer and save each other from that wandering, that wandering down a path that leads only to a perishable end. And so if we're doing that, then we're doing a great work work that we've been called to do right at the end of this book And as we think about all the things we have learnt, all the things we have been taught through this living word James says this, keep each other on track go and do these things put these things into practice and when someone wanders off the path go and get them go and get them and bring them back Bring them back and you will save his soul. You will save her soul from death and you will cover a multitude of sins. What a great work we've been called into. Every one of us. What a privilege that is. Put your preferences to one side. Don't worry about how things might turn out for your relationship or that awkwardness that may come up. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Remember his word and he will honor you and he will honor us if we do these things in this place. And we will see those who will be back on the road, that narrow road that leads to eternal, eternal life with Christ. And so let's be those agents in God's saving and sustaining work for his people and for his glory. Let's pray. Let's give thanks to God for all that he's taught us in this series and then we'll sing and we'll be finished for this evening. Father, help us to be a church that keeps each other on track. May we act as we ought. Uh, May we love each other as you've called us to love each other and may we be Uh, working out these, uh, these search and rescue missions. May we not just put them aside and when we see someone wandering, leave them to their own devices, but may we go and may you use us in those moments to bring these souls back to Christ and back to that road. Lay a burden on our hearts for this ministry. That we would do it lovingly and carefully and above all, prayerfully, and that we would be open even with each other, that even if a brother and sister was to come to us, that we would, we would thank you, Father, first, for putting these practices in your word for us to live out. And may we turn to you. Maybe there's a wanderer this evening, Lord, here. Lord, may, we, may you work in their heart and draw, themself, draw them back to yourself may they experience that forgiveness that we've talked about this evening and may they enjoy that joy again of knowing and walking with you on that path Lord we thank you for all that you've taught us through this series we give you praise for everything thank you that we have been able to reach the end thank you for your your, your grace and how you've tarried even for us to study this together and Lord may we not just leave it aside now but go back and read it often may we realize it's living and active and that it just speaks into every circumstance all the time and so Father thank you and may we as we leave this book now and move on to another Lord may we see ourselves in it may it reflect us And may our life reflect Christ, we pray. So thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.